don't worry about sitting here for like six hours. Um, but there's three questions that we're going to answer today that you all submitted. Um, and this is, I'll be honest, this is one of my favorite series that I do every year just because, you know, sometimes it's hard for people like me to know exactly what people are thinking. And so it's good to be able to answer some of those today. And there's one question today in particular that we're going to start off with that is a, um, a doctrinal question. Um, a theology question, which is my favorite thing since I have a master's degree in theology and theological thought. You know what I'm saying? Woo! So I'm actually going to get to use that a little today. Um, and then the next two are just, uh, are, they're, I mean, they're doctrinal, doctrinal theology questions too, but it's more on a personal level. Um, but I'm really excited about doing this because next week we're going to start our series, Behold the Throne, our Christmas series. Um, and it's going to just be about King Jesus. Now, Christmas season isn't just about baby Jesus being born, but it's actually a yearly reminder of us that he is coming again. There's a second advent happening where he will return and take his bride home. That's me and you as believers, and that's something we can celebrate. Because I don't know if you've noticed world history right now, um, but things are a little crazy. Some things are starting to line up, you know, like the Euphrates River drying up, which is prophesied about in, in Revelation, and then, you know, there's a great revival happening on both sides, the ungodly and the godly. Like, there's just this like, it may not happen in my lifetime, but I believe it's going to happen in my kids' lifetime. That's just me. That's just me. That's my opinion. Just with the things that I'm seeing. Um, don't be like, well, he said this. I'm not putting a date on anything. I'm just saying it's getting close. You know what I'm saying? Um, anyway, either way, let's get people ready before we get there. You with me? No matter what you believe, just get people ready before that time comes. And um, but yeah, so y'all ready to answer the last three remaining questions? All right, here's the first one. How do we know that the Holy, the Holy Trinity is true? Does Jesus not allude that the Father is greater than he? Well, first we have to understand where the word Trinity comes from. Right? The word Trinity comes from this great author um, lived back not too long after Jesus. He was one of, our great, like one of the great fathers of our faith. Um, but you have to understand, the word Trinity... Uh, is the English equivalent of the Latin word Trinitas, all right? Trinitas. Uh, and Trinitas, which is, it was coined by a Christian writer, father of our faith, Tertullian, all right? He used the word Trinity to describe the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to lay this, it's not part of my thing here, but what you believe about the Trinity is important. Because if you have a false view of the Trinity, you have a false view of who Jesus is. You with me? And we're going to talk about that here in a second. All right? But if you have a false view on who the Father is, the Son is, and the Holy Spirit, or for y'all Pentecostals, Holy Ghost, all right? Uh, if you have a wrong view on how they relate to each other, your whole doctrine and theology will get you so far off base that you will become <clears throat> a cult. You with me? And that's a hard word. I don't want you to hear me say it. All right? You know, I don't shy away from talking about things. But it was, the word Trinity was written, written, by, written down, first coined by the, the, our, our writer and our brother and our father in the faith, Tertullian. If you've never read any of his stuff, look his stuff up. It is amazing. All right, you want to talk about some deep stuff, read some of, some of Tertullian stuff. The word, um, which, which means, um, the, the word itself means something like tripleness, Right, it's uh, it's uh, it's this tripleness. It's re it's re and it's referred to collectively, especially in in faith, as collectively as the Father, Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. That's, I have the Celtic symbol on my hand right now. This is the, the tricultural, the Celtic symbol for the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's also called the tripleness symbol. All right? If you ever get one of these, don't put a circle around it because that's Wicca. You don't want to fall into that boat, okay? Um, I, yeah, so that's a, that's a whole other sermon for another day, okay? Um, so yes, so I'm going to lay out the foundation right here. So the word Trinity is nowhere in the Scripture. Nowhere in the Scripture, all right? But neither is the word rapture. You with me? Neither is the word rapture, which we all know that when, what rapture means is to be called up, all right? So in Revelations, what it says we are all will be called up to meet him in the sky as believers, that in Latin, they use the word rapture, rapturo, right? So it's in the Latin Bible, but in our English, there's no word for rapture. We just, that's just a phrase that the church says. So the question becomes, does that make the doctrine of the Trinity any less accurate? No. So here's the question. Can we answer, can we see a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or what we call the Trinity inside of Scripture, right? And the answer is yes, and I'm just going to pull out two of them. Two of them, because I'm excited about getting some pork butt. All right? Let's go all the way back to the very beginning. You with me? Genesis 1 says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God, there's a reason why it's highlight, highlight, highlighted, highlighted. What am I talking about? Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, here's an important fact that you need to know. Um, and here's where my theology, doctrine, and stuff coming in. I love it. Um, the Hebrew word for God here is the word Elohim. Elohim, if you want to say it properly. But it's, I'm country, so Elohim. All right? Hebrew word Elohim, which is the, this is the word, if you read it in Hebrew, this is the word that is there for God. And Elohim is the plural form of Eloha, right? So, basically, for you non-English people like me, okay, plural means multiple, okay, more than one, okay? So, it, from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, the Godhead, or the Trinity, or the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right, created the heavens and the earth. Anytime... God is mentioned in specifically in Genesis 1 and a couple other times through Genesis. Um, it is, the word Elohim is used in the plural construct form. So from the very beginning, you have a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So how, so how did creation work? Right? So how did, if, if all three of them there were creating, how did it work? Well, um, God spoke. God said, let there be light. Right? Genesis uh, 1-2 says, The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. So here in a minute you hear God say, uh, God said, let there be light, there'll be light, and the Holy Spirit's hovering over the creation, right? Kind of like a manager, I guess you can say, all right? And then you're like, well, what about Jesus? Where's Jesus at in this? So the Spirit hovered over creation, and then in John 1-1, it starts off by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And we all know, if, you, if you're not clear on this, there's a reason why the word Word is capitalized, because it's referring to a person. Right? And that person is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. So when preachers say, well, you've got to preach the Word, we well, better make sure that you're preaching the right thing, because 
according to John 1, 1, the word is Jesus. You can preach anything else, your doctrine may be wrong. Okay? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay? He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was nothing or anything made that was made. All right? Jesus, so God the Father spoke, the Spirit's hovering, and Jesus is making. It's all coming through him. Okay? Uh, and we're going to go back to Genesis 1 here in just a second, but it's through Christ things were created. Colossians also, I didn't put this in here, but Colossians also says that it's through Jesus that everything was created. So from the very beginning in Genesis 1, in creation, we see that there's a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that they're all co-equal God. And you're like, Derek, how does that make sense? Because we're a monotheistic religion or a belief system, right? Well, you think of me and my wife, Brittany. Me and my wife, Brittany, are two separate people, all right? But the Bible says when we become married, we become what? One. We have the same vision, the same goals, the same path, the same, we want the same thing. The same thing with the Godhead. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all together as one. So Jesus didn't create you because, God didn't create you because he was lonely. No, he had community already. He created you because he wanted you. You with me? All right, but that's a whole other sermon too. All right, so Derek, well, that's, cool that you can see that stuff in scripture but what well i want to there's one story that's the most poignant on all three people together all right and it's found in matthew 3 it says this is that jesus is being baptized everybody knows that story right hopefully if you grew up in sunday school i'm sure you have then jesus left galilee to come to the jordan to be baptized by john but when he waited in the water john resisted him saying why are you doing this i'm the one who needs to be baptized by you and yet you come to be baptized by me. And, and, and Jesus replied, it is only right to do all that God requires. Then John baptized Jesus. And as Jesus rose up, so you have Jesus the Son right there, right? So as Jesus rose up out of the water, the heavenly realm opened up over him. And he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of the heavens and rest upon him in the form of a dove. So there you had the Son in the same place and the Spirit in the same place. All right? You with me? Because if it's all just one person... Persons, I can't, well, you, you know where I'm going? Okay. And Jesus rose up on the water, and the heavenly realm opened up over him, and he saw the Holy Spirit descend out of heaven and rest upon him in the form of a dove. Then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, This is the Son I love, and my, great, and my greatest delight is in him. So here's a picture of the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in the same place, described as persons, not forces. You with me? All right. So here you have all three persons of the Trinity at the same time, at the same place. Now, to help us understand this, I want to talk about a false doctrine real quick that's in another belief system, a.k.a. what I called it earlier. Okay? So here's a false view of the Trinity. Jehovah Witnesses. Everybody's had them knock on the door, right? Knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I pray with you? No, we want to pray for you. No, that's not how it works. I'm going to pray for you because my Jesus is real, not yours. Um, yeah, it's, that's what, anyways. Jehovah Witnesses, or those people that meet at the Kingdom Hall, reject the Trinity's doctrine, which they consider unscriptural to them. Okay? They view God as the Father, as an invisible spirit person, separated from the Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? There's a, there's, they have a belief about Jesus. Why, if you believe wrong about the Trinity, you're going to get to the moment. We'll talk about that here in a minute. All right? The Holy Spirit is described as God's active force. 
for Star Wars, y'all. May the force be with you. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit as a person, right? They believe him as a force or the power of God, which the Holy Spirit is described as a power, but it's described as a person as well in Scripture. All right? So Jehovah's reject the Trinity doctrine, which consider, they consider unscriptural. They view God as, God as the Father, an invisible spirit person, separated from the Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is described as God's active force rather than the third part of the Trinity. And like most Christians, they believe that Jesus died for our sin, right? But they don't believe in the resurrection the same way we do. They don't believe that he was bodily resurrected, but that he was spiritually resurrected, right? Spiritually resurrected, which would make him not divine, but a created being. Let me tell you what I mean. So the doctrine uh, doctrine of Jesus inside of Jehovah Witnesses, Jehovah Witness belief, they believe that Jesus is a archangel. Okay? Now, they actually believe that Jesus was Michael, the only archangel. Alright? They believe that Jesus was incarnated as human from Michael the archangel. Okay? which even they, in their own translation of the scripture, have to do something with Daniel 10, 13, that says, but for, the 20, for, but for 21 days the spirit, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I, felt I left, him there, left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. So, you're like, David, what, what do you mean by that? Well, notice it says one of the, which means even in their translation, there's more than one archangel. So they don't even understand what they believe either because in their translation, it says one of the archangels, which means there's more than one, right? So that is those, their whole theological stance out the door. You with me? But see, they also state that Jesus never said, this is, like, this is where they're, Doctrine of Michael the Archangel comes from. They said that Jesus never once said that he was equal with God. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. Well, again, John 1 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. You can go ahead and switch the page farther there if you can. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? And then you have John 5. 17 through 21, that says, Jesus answered the critics by saying, every day my father is at work, and I will be too. This infuriated, infuri uh, this infuriated them and made them all the more eager to devise a plan to kill him, for not only did he break the Sabbath rules, but he called God my father, which what? Made him equal to God, which is one of the reasons why they wanted to kill him. Right? So him saying, uh, my father... They would know, like the people took that to mean that he was saying I was equal to God. And we'll talk about more of this in a second, but here's the deal. Verse 19. So Jesus said, I speak to you timeless truths. The son is not able to do anything from, uh, from himself or through his own initiative. I only do the works that I see the father doing. For the son does, not, does the same works as his father. Because the father loves his son. Because the Father loves His Son so much, He always reveals to me everything that He is about to do, and you'll be amazed. And here He goes. It may be, you'll all be amazed when He shows me even greater works than what you have seen so far. 
For just like the Father has power to raise the dead, the Son will raise the dead and give life to whomever he wants. Like the extra, what does all this mean? I'm going to break it down for you. I'm glad you asked. Okay? Verses 17 through 18 is Jesus saying he is equal to God in nature. Okay? Verse 17 through 18 of that, he's equal to God in nature. Verse 19 says is he's equal to God in his works. Verse 20, he's equal to God in his power. Verse 20, he's equal to God in knowledge. Verse 21, he's equal to God in his power. But then Jehovah Witnesses have to do something with John 10.30 that says, the Father and I are one. Boom. Whole doctrine just shot out the door for all them Jehovah Witness people. All right? So next time one of them comes and knocks on your door, there's you some... Uh, there's just some things to throw out to them. All right? All right. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for giving me that. You're welcome, guys. So, did Jesus, get back to the second part of the question, so did Jesus allude to God the Father being greater? Right? That's one of the arguments Jehovah's Witnesses said. Well, Jesus even said that God the Father was greater. And the answer is yes, he did say that. But, Here's the thing you have to understand about the Godhead or the Trinity, all right? And I love how C.S. Lewis describes the doctrine of the Trinity. C.S. Lewis describes this as the holy dance, all right? So it's kind of this idea that while the Son glorifies the Father, the Father glorifies the Son. If you want reference, read John 17, 1, okay? Even, even when, Jesus is, uh, when Jesus is praying, when he raises Lazarus from the dead. You remember what he said? He says, as I glorify you, may you glorify your son. Right? So there's this relationship where the father glorifies the son as the son glorifies the father. Right? While the spirit glorifies the father and the son, and in return, they do the same for the Holy Spirit. Really, Derek? Yeah. So here's the deal. John 16, 7. But here's the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the divine encourager will not be released to you. But after I depart, I will send him, describing him as a person, not as a force, to you. There's one coming after me that will... That there's, like if you read it in the actual Greek, what it says, there's another Savior coming, and talking about the Holy Spirit, as in God, our, God the Father, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit, our Savior. You with me? So as the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, as the, as the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son and the Father, and they do likewise. That's how it, that's how it works. Now, this is not to, the doctrine of the Trinity is is one of those greatest mysteries of the Bible. Uh, and there's some probably some things in there that we will never know until we get to glory. But any anything opposite of what I just said is absolute false doctrine. And if you follow anybody else. That says anything opposite than that. And, that. and that's just the basic doctrines of the Trinity. I'm not saying that I'm perfect in my thoughts, but that's what the Bible says, not what I say. You with me? So yes, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible, but the aspects of the Trinity are. You with me? Thanks, Derek. You're welcome. All right. Question number two. And I love this question, especially in the day that we're living in. Did Jesus have feelings like anxiety, depression, and sadness? Good question right there, right? We don't think about Jesus in that way, right? Because we always think of him as this, which he is, holy, majestic, gets everything right, because he does. 
But we oftentimes forget that Philippians 2.6 says, He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as supreme as the supreme prize. You go ahead and put that one up there. Yeah. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. He humbled, he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a, as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of his obedience, God exalted him, or get back to the last question, glorified him, okay? God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He, he has now been given the greatest of all names. Here's what you understand. Jesus was fully God and fully man, right? Fully God and fully man, right? Even though he was equal with God, he didn't count being on earth so that's something to be showcased here, is what that means. Like, is it, because there is one belief system that Jesus stripped off everything, and we know from reading the scripture that's not true because he performed miracles. He could read minds, which was scary. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And you know, like those stories where the religious leaders were thinking these things, and then he says, I know you're what you're thinking, you're thinking this, and they're like, oh my God, how did you know that? We're thinking that. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he still had his God qualities, but he did, he, it wasn't, that wasn't what, why he was here. He was here to rescue us. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And here is why that is important. Why his manhood, his humanity is important. Right? Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The reason he took on humanity is that is so that he can empathize with us in every aspect of our humanity. Like he felt pain, he felt sorrow, he felt he felt like he 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 felt sadness, he felt anxiety, he felt depression, just like any other human would. In fact, it makes me think of um, you know we just read about John who John baptized Jesus right. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and he was beheaded by the king of that time. And when Jesus got word, and Matt, and Matt, I didn't put this in there, but in Matthew 14, um, it says that Jesus, when he heard, heard the news that John was, was killed, he went off to be alone, but the crowds would not leave him alone. He was sad that his cousin was dead, Right? And that's when he performed one of the greatest miracles and recorded in feeding the 5,000. All right? But then, but probably the most poignant story of, of all of this is um, in regards to this question is found, and I love this, because um, it's found in Luke 22, 39 through 46. It says this. And he came out, came out and went as, as it was custom to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you're willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared 
to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, uh, sleeping for sorrow. And he, and he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Raise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Going back to the last one. The sweating of blood medically is called, is called hematidrosis. This happens under high stress or anxiety. Right? High stress or anxiety. But So here's the question. Did Jesus feel sadness, anxiety, and depression? All that? Sure. He did. I mean, he wouldn't sweat drops of blood if he wasn't in some sort of anxiety state because he knew what was going to happen to him in just a short 24 hours. Like, I'd be freaking out too in my humanity. If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, I'm like, oh God, what am I going to do today? You know what I'm saying? That's going be what's in my mind. Like, Jesus was carrying the weight of your sin so much that it caused him anxiety enough to pray, God, if you, if you could take this cup from me, take it, but it's not your will, but mine, not my will, but yours be done. He's saying the human part of me wants to give in. But I know I've come here for a higher calling and that is to save the world. Right? But notice the difference. When we experience anxiety and depression and sorrow and sadness versus how Jesus responded to those things, what did he do? He prayed to his Father for strength instead of trying to handle the situation himself. Much like we do, right? Well, I got this. I pulled myself up from by the bootstrap. No, 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 you didn't. Who gave you the hands to pull them bootstraps to begin with? You with me? Who really got you out of that tough situation? Because Lord knows you just made it worse anytime you try to do something. You with me? He was in so much anxiety heading toward the cross to carry the weight of your sin that he prayed, God, you're going to have to give me strength. Just think. God the Son happened to pray to God the Father, you've got to give me strength. That's the weight, that's the cost of your sin. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. He prayed to the Father for strength. And the last one, and my favorite probably in this one, in this whole thing, it kind of goes along with that, but why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus weep? And here's the first thing that we have to understand. Isaiah 53.3 describes Jesus in this way, the coming Messiah. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Right? He was a man who knew sorrow and knew grief firsthand. Knew grief firsthand. Isaiah 53.5 says that, says that Jesus, Says this about, said that about Jesus. There are two times recorded, and there's two times recorded in the New Testament where Jesus actually wept. Right? Lazarus has died, and he, has, and he sees everyone mourning after he has just told them, I am the resurrection and the life. So, you know, you have Mary and Martha who came and crying at Jesus' feet, and he's told both of them, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. Just do you believe? And they're like, I believe, but I'm still going to cry. I'm mourning. They're dead, they're dead, they're dead. And you're just like, and they're like, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And, and he's just like, God, do you just believe in me? Like, will somebody believe that I am the resurrection and the life? 
And even one of them was like, well, I know that when one day the, resur- the, 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 the believers will, will rise. I know that the day of resurrection is coming. And Jesus is like, I am the day of resurrection. Believe me. So he's looking around, seeing all them die. And it says this right here. It says, John eleven thirty two. 32. It says, when Mary finally found Jesus outside the village, she fell at his feet in tears and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's pretty bold for you to say to Jesus. Right? Like, if only you'd, I'm going to say this, but you've said it before too. Like, where were you when this was going on? Like, why wasn't you here? We told, I told you three days ago that this was going to happen. Why didn't you show up and do something about it? Like, don't, so don't judge her because you've done the same thing. You said it too. Verse 33, when Jesus looked at Mary and saw her weeping at his feet and all her friends who were, who were with her grieving, he shuddered with emotion and was deeply moved with tenderness and compassion. He said to them, where did you bury him? And I'm wondering, if the very thing that you're crying over right now on the inside, the very thing that you're mourning for, the very thing that you thought was dead, that Jesus in this moment is looking at you and saying, where did you bury it? God gave you a vision for your life. He gave you a gift for your life. He gave you a future. And, you, and because it didn't seem like things were going the right way, you went and put it in the grave. And today Jesus is saying, where did you bury it? And they said, Lord, come with us and we'll show you. They replied. And it says, then tears streamed down Jesus' face. This should remind us of the love that God has for us. His adopted sons and daughters. How it pains him to see us suffer. Jesus shows true compassion and suffers with his friends, weeping at the sight of such a difficult scene. But it's, like I said, so much deeper than this. He's weeping because it pains him that we are blinded by life. We're blinded by the truth that is life in him. Here's the second. And here's, let me show you what I mean. So there's the other part where Jesus cries is not too far after this first incident here at the tomb. He's riding on the donkey entering Jerusalem. And he looks over and says this. Well, John 11, 36, and we'll finish this. It says, seeing Jesus weep caused many of the mourners to say, look how much he loved Lazarus. Yet others said, isn't this the one who opens blind eyes? Why didn't he do something to keep Lazarus from dying? Then Jesus, with intense emotion, came to the tomb, a cave with a stone placed over its entrance. Here's the truth. We have a Savior who cares about our soul. And he wants to heal us. He wants to heal us. Hey, Joe, can you... um, Apparently, I didn't put this in there. Luke 19, 41 through 42. Luke 19, 41 through 42. If you put that up there real quick. When Jesus caught sight of the city, the city of Jerusalem, as he was going in, this is not too far after Lazarus' resurrection. When Jesus caught sight of the city, he burst into tears with uncontrollable weeping over Jerusalem. Over Jerusalem, saying, if only you could recognize that this day peace is within your reach. 
but you cannot see it. But you cannot see it. Jesus sees the city of Jerusalem, and the sight brings him to tears. This is because he sees the sins of the past and the future, and it breaks his heart. The thing that's troubling you in life, he, he, it causes Jesus pain. Causes Jesus sorrow. We have a Savior who cares for our soul. In fact, He is weeping at the current state of maybe your soul. Like, will you just open? He's saying, "Will you just open your eyes and see the peace that you're seeking is right here in front of you? The peace that you're looking for, that you're looking for in that other person." That, that man or woman, that kid, that kid of yours, that peace that you're looking for in your job or in your financial situation, the very thing that you're looking for is in your midst. If you would just open your eyes and see it. We have a Savior who cares for our souls and He wants to heal us. 1 Peter 2.24 is a promise. It says, He Himself carried our sins in His body on the cross so that we would be, so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Our instant healing flows, flowed from his wounds. You can be healed this morning. The very tears that Jesus cried for your salvation, for your healing. And what does he want to heal you from? I'm glad you asked. Luke 7, 18 says, John's disciples reported to him. So John, this is before John dies, right before he's beheaded, John's in prison. His disciples come to Jesus and says this. John disciples reported to him in prison about the wonderful miracle. So you have to understand, John the Baptist sent his disciples and asked Jesus if he was the Messiah, like if he is the one that we were waiting for. Because you have to understand, John's in prison. He's probably feeling a little heartbroken, a little, a little like, well, why am I in prison? He's like, are you the one that we've been looking for, or should we keep on looking for another? Right? So I understand John's heart in that. You're like, well, how can John do that? Well, you do it too, so don't judge him. All right? It's, that's why I love the Bible, because it's just ordinary people who have the same struggles and doubts and fears that we do. All right? So disciples go ask Jesus. John, and then they come back. John's disciples reported to him in prison about all the wonderful miracles and the works Jesus was doing. So John dispatched two of his disciples to go into to inquire to Jesus. When they came before the master, they asked him, are you the coming Messiah we've been expecting, or, or are we to continue to look for someone else? <laughs> John, the prophet, has sent us to you to seek your answer. I love Jesus' response, because it says, without answering, <laughs> Jesus turned to the crowd and healed many of their incurable diseases. His miracle power freed many from their suffering. He restored the gift of sight to the blind, and he drove the demonic spirits from those who were tormented. So he didn't answer them. He just turned and did his thing. And then after he turned and did his thing, he says, only then did Jesus answer the question posed by John's disciples. He says, this is what he says, now go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard here today. The blind are now seeing. Maybe you're here and you're blind to your future. And he's saying, I want to heal you. I want to open your eyes to what I have for you. Satan has blinded you for too long. And he's here saying, this morning, I'm opening your eyes to see the future and the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. 
like you don't know the vision. You like God, I just need the vision for my life. And here He's this morning telling you, if you open your eyes, I'll heal them, and you'll be able to see your future. Now go back and tell John what you have just seen and heard today. The blind are now seeing. The crippled are now walking. Maybe you've been walking with a limp physically or even your spirit and, or whatever the case may be. And this morning he has the power to, power to cure that. Even, even crippling, fi, crippled financially, even, even crippled mentally, even crippled in your workplace, whatever you're crippled by, he's saying today it can be healed if you just open your eyes and believe. Go and tell them what you've just seen and heard today. The blind are now seeing and the crippled are now walking. Those who were lepers are now cured. The very sin that's in your life, the very the, 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 things that, the thing that you feel shame about, dirty about, he's, he's, saying, he's saying, I will heal that. I will save you today. Those who are deaf are now hearing God. Maybe you're saying to God, I just want to hear your voice. And he's saying today, here I am. He's, open, he's going to open your ears today. Those who are deaf are now hearing. Those who are dead are now raised back to life. Maybe the very thing that you've buried, he's saying today, can be raised back to life. The poor and the broken are given hope of salvation. Those are the things that he wants to heal in your heart today. Now I'm just going to say this on a side note. It's not part of this. You know, John's in prison, and this is actually Jesus quoting an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah, about himself. There's one part he left out because he, I guess he, it's because Jesus knew that John, John's outcome in prison was going to be was going to be death because the Old Testament prophecy was said the prisoners will be set free. Jesus left that part off because he didn't want to give John some false hope that he was about to get out. Because no, you're actually about to die. You know what I'm saying? But if you go back. In the Old Testament, it says, and the, and the prisoners will be set free. The very thing that binds you right now, he wants to set you free from. Open your eyes. He can open them. You need to hear, he can hear. You need to walk, he'll, he'll help you walk. We have to open our eyes to see the love that he has. Love conquers all. All. And his love for you. God so loved us that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He wants to save you this morning. And I'm going to pray, and then we're going to be done. But the baptistry is already set up, so if you want to be baptized today, I'll stand up here and wait. I mean, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying, it's here, we can get it done. You know, we can celebrate. We have some pork butt we can celebrate with. Uh, I think there's some noodle soup back there too. And some Dolly Parton cake, whatever that is. Has to be good. Dolly Parton cake. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus wants to rescue you here today. He's weeping for you. I love this last verse. And tell John these words. The blessing of heaven comes upon those who never lose their faith in me no matter what happens. Don't lose your, if you're a believer, you don't lose faith no matter what this world looks like, no matter what you see on the news, no matter what you see on social media, no matter what you see going on around the world, don't lose faith. Your king 
is still on the throne. Intro for next week. Behold the throne. Don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. No matter what happens, keep on walking. Keep on walking. Say, God, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to be here. God, I pray that if there's somebody here that's life, it's time for their life to change forever, their eternity to change forever, that that happens today, and we can go ahead and take care of everything else. God, I pray that they, they, they choose you today. If there's healing that needs to take place in this room today, let that healing happen. If somebody needs to be indwelled with your spirit today, let that happen. If somebody, if, 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 if it's time for somebody, if it's time for somebody to speak to you for the first time, allow them to speak. If they're here the first time, allow them to hear. If, if, if their finances or their jobs or whatever, they're, they're limping in those areas, God, may know today because of their faith in you, receive a blessing because they didn't lose faith. May we walk in the truth that you wept for us because you are burdened. For we have a Savior who is burdened for his people. We have a king who serves his people. God, I pray all this.